Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Semaphore Uncut, a podcast for developers about building great products. In this new episode, Darko, the podcast host, welcomes software engineer, public speaker, and mentor May Baseran. May shares her journey from back-end developer to DevOps engineer. I hope you enjoy this new episode. Now let's dive in. Hello. Today with us, we have May Baseran. May, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, I am super excited and happy to be here. Great, amazing. Can you just please go ahead and introduce yourself? I've been a backend developer for about six years. Literally any language that you throw at me, I say bring it on. But other, you know, jokes aside, the reason for all of these languages is because I worked for different startup companies. And over there, it's like, you need to do everything we need you to do. <laughs> And after being a backend developer, not only in startup companies, I've worked for bigger and big companies later, I decided that I want to explore the dark side. So I became a DevOps engineer like two, almost two years ago. And I have to say that I love it. Last thing that I want to say is that I am a sworn Star Wars fan. And therefore, when I do my public speaking, which I don't think I mentioned, but I do a lot of public speaking. I talk at many tech conferences. So when I go to speak at those tech conferences, you can't miss me, even though I am pretty short, <laughs> but I have huge R2D2 heels. So there you have it. That's me. DevOps with R2D2 heels. We have recently launched a CICD learning tool, which shortcuts into everything you need to know to level up your CICD process and increase your productivity. Also, to ensure that all our customers get the best CICD guidance, we have improved our sign-up process. From now on, everyone who's considering using Semaphore will get personalized CICD expert guidance from day one. Our engineers have more than 10 years of experience, so you'll surely be in good hands. Check it out on our website, semaphoreci.com. Let's maybe start from the end. I, I'm really curious. Uh, you're into public speaking and have a great talent for that. Can you speak more about that? Because I think for a lot of, for vast majority of engineers, public speaking and all of that is like, that is maybe the dark side or the scary side at least. So if you, if you could just unpack that a little bit for us. It looks easy to some people. Like it looks like it's easy. You know what? It looks like it's easy for me, but it's not actually easy for me. I am still shaking every single time I have to go on stage, whether it's for 10 people, 100, 400 people, doesn't even matter. And what helps me is to practice a lot. But this is like the end of it, right? So let's go a little bit. Uh, let's go back a little bit. So why did I start doing that? When I uh, just graduated from uh, from university, I wasn't struggling to get job interviews, but what I was struggling with was with the interviews themselves. I was very nervous. It was really difficult. When I got, you know, I, I read this uh, Facebook post calling women to become tech speakers. And I was like, oh my God, maybe if I'll be able to speak in front of 400 people, then I will also be able to speak in front of, of one interviewer. I was almost right because these are eventually two different things, but it did help me a lot in that area. But then I found out how great public speaking is in so many other areas for my career. And here's here are the things, right? First of all, if I want to learn something new, I will first submit a talk <laughs> to a conference and then I'll go learn about this thing. 
Second thing is, if I want to show or talk about something, a big project that I did at work, it helps me to better understand, uh, you know, kind of do a review of this project for myself. Because now I want to talk about what worked, what didn't work. Another thing is networking, connections. I think that having connections, knowing more people, having more people know that you are a professional, that you know what it is that you're talking about, that you are able to pass on knowledge. It means that you are above the average developer, that you are able to also be a tech lead because tech leads are expected to pass on their knowledge. They're expected to be able to teach their peers. And if you're able to do those public uh, speaking, then you're able to be a tech lead. If you're looking for somebody that will help you become a public uh, speaker, I'm here for that. I help a lot of people, just like I got help in the beginning of my way. And by the way, I'm still getting help today. Immediately reminded me when you said that you first apply for a talk and then you get into learning about, you know, that thing that I have some friends who are into running and then I figure out that I cannot run if I can, if I don't apply for the race first. So when I sub, uh, sign up for the race, then I can, then I can run. Love it. It's such a good comparison. I might steal this comparison, you know? <laughs> yeah, please do. Uh, that transition from being, you know, a backend developer, worked in multiple companies, and then moving into what you initially called the, the, the dark side <laughs> for, 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 I guess, majority of developers. Can you speak more about the motivation first and then later how, how that trajectory played out for you so far? First of all, the motivation to do the, the switch was I felt like an outsider in a lot of discussions in internal discussions in, in the company where I worked at. Because if you work at a big company, then there are many development teams. And then you are very aware of maybe other products. Maybe you're aware of some of the products. And if the DevOps team is going a, doing a good enough job, then maybe you're not aware almost at all as to what goes on in the CI CD pipelines, because I think that's a lot of developers has that aspiration of like, I'm going to write the code. Good luck, you know, with, with what happens later. But I was that kind of a developer for some time, but then I felt like an outsider because I wanted to know what happens. And now it's not that I actually thought that it's magic or whatever. It's not that I didn't know what is a CI CD pipeline. It's not that I didn't understand what's going on there, but there is a difference, you know, being in on the details rather than just being familiar with it. I wanted to be in on the details. I believe that later on, if I want to go back to being a backend developer or any kind of, you know, or, or full stack, it will give me a leverage that other developers won't have because I truly understand how a deployment is being done. I will truly understand a lot about the cloud resources, how they're how they're affecting the way that my application is running. So once you have that bigger picture, you can now do your job better. At least that's what I think. And so the first thing that I can say is that the transition, like the fact that I was first a backend developer and then a DevOps, it helped me in many ways in doing my job as DevOps, doing it better because I can still wear that developer hat. I can still ask myself if I was a backend developer trying to, you know, change this code, like, cause we have infrastructure as code. So when I write a new piece of Python code that is going to be used by the, those developers, I ask myself, is this simple enough? Is this something that they're going to be able to use without asking a bunch of questions? And that it, it's not that I don't want them to ask questions, but 
I can think about the developer experience because I've been one. So I don't assume knowledge more than what I believe that they should have. I try to assume as little as knowledge as possible because I, I think less about the developers, but because I just want things to be simple. Do they really need it? Do they really want to do those changes? And yeah, that's that's like think the main thing that helped me be a better DevOps because eventually the code that I write is the product that my users, my developers are going to use. You were commenting on what are some of the values that you are getting, but also knowing how things run. Can't remember exactly where, but uh, I was reading a book where someone was making exactly these comparisons and there was also like kind of a third type of engineer. It is not that common in, in, in companies, in smaller companies these days. People essentially that run systems such as, you know, networking and who are just using the software written by other people, not from their company, but outside. Those people are essentially a lot of time working with the black box. So you have no clue what the code is in there. There are manuals, there are logs, and then you have to debug it. And a lot of those things are actually proprietary, especially when it comes to some networking equipment and so on. So that's something that I was really not expecting to learn. But then I later saw it in our company, also with the people who are running our platform team. Our platform team is maybe by definition a, a bit different. They are maintaining our build cluster, which is a lot of connected with you know, the physical hardware because performance in the CI systems is, is very, very important. But debugging skills of those people are um, also different and kind of on the next level because in development, we are used to being, you know, white box kind of a thing where you can even see the source code of the library that you are running and, you know, everything. Or maybe However, you wrote it yourself. Exactly. As a backend developer, the amount of different architecture and systems and solutions that you're going to meet is as wide as the maybe amount of workplaces that you change or if you're doing like internal moving, you know, inside a big company that you work at. So let's say you, you've changed one team every year, right? You change the role every year. So if you work at six different places for six years, now you've seen six solutions or it depends on how big the systems were. But I'm, what I'm saying is it's kind of limited if you compare it to me having to know at least at a, at a good level, not say deep level, right? But a good level of all of the systems that we have at Forder in the different teams and their requirements. So then I have to ask them about their solutions and why they decided to have this queue. Because if they want to change the a resource, they want to add something, I need to understand why. What it is that you're trying to do? What are you? What happened that you don't think that you can solve it with code? And because I was a backend developer, I also have an understanding of what can be solved with with code. So it kind of saves a lot of communication on that side. If somebody is listening to this podcast and, and is looking for more DevOps and people are like, it's so hard to find DevOps, right? It's hard. But let's, why don't you consider taking like people who are like developers and, and if they have this, this will, like help my, help them do the switch. Cause my team leader, he took, you know, he took the, that risk supposedly with me or that chance with me. And it worked because I really had the will to, to learn and to get knee deep into, you know, into everything that DevOps has to offer. We have recently launched a CICD learning tool which shortcuts into everything you need to know to level up your CICD process and increase your productivity. Also, to ensure that all our customers get the best CICD guidance, we have improved our sign-up process. From now on, everyone who's considering using Semaphore will get personalized CICD expert guidance from day one. 
our engineers have more than 10 years of experience, so you'll surely be in good hands. Check it out on our website, semaphoreci.com. Can you speak a bit about what is uh, the current main thing for you and, and your team? And maybe also say a bit more about uh, the company. How many teams are you guys supporting? And, you know. Right. So, Forder is about 500 people, about 120 uh, people in the engineering, te- uh, engineering department, divided into, I think, a bit over 20 teams. And we have around 400 different microservices in that, in our systems, not including, you know, all kind of Chrome jobs and stuff like that. We provide support for 120 developers. We have, uh, we are like, uh, DevSecOps. So we also have like the security team and also the observability team. So we're kind of divided into four teams. As I said, security, observability. We have CI or, you know, we call it de- uh, developer experience because it's everything until the moment that you need to uh, deploy your code. So it's everything uh, starting like uh, local testing and CI pipelines and all that. And then we have uh, CD or the way we call it uh, runtime team, which is everything that happens from the moment that you want to start deploying your code where you have your artifacts ready. And then uh, managing those uh, resources in the cloud and doing it in a way that is efficient and convenient for the users. A friend of mine said, okay, so how do you know if there's like a good DevOps? If you provide something, you know, tools that are efficient, easy to use and stable. And he said, like, if you only do one of those, that's pretty easy. But the hard thing is to do the, you know, all of the three, because (laughs) if I only need to, you know, deploy something, but I don't have to make it stable, (laughs) easy. If I don't, (laughs) if I don't have to make it easy to use, still easy, right? I can make something complex and annoying and, and, you know, ugly code and make it work. If I don't have to, to make it, you know, so all of those, the combination of all three of those, that's the hard thing. And that's what we try to do at Forder. I think, so that was the first question. And the second question that you asked me was, what is our current focus, right? So our our current focus is bringing Kubernetes to Forder. You know, we're bringing as a group a big, big, big change that will affect everyone. In that big project, my part, the part that, the part that I took ownership, uh, was first of all, the deployment definition. So to just give a quick word about that is you remember how if you want to have your application run on, you know, with Docker, then you need to define a, a Docker file. So it's like defining a Docker file, but for Kubernetes. So you will have the Kubernetes manifest with, which will define how your application application will be running inside the Kubernetes cluster. You will define uh, things about like the pod, the uh, the port, all sorts of things like that. So if you're familiar with Docker files, it's kind of like that, but in the Kubernetes world. And another thing that I later on took ownership on was leading the migrations themselves to Kubernetes, which means collaborating with the teams, with the developers to change the way that they deploy and run their applications from running on VMs on EC2 instances to running inside a Kubernetes cluster uh, with service mesh. And that's that's an interesting, <laughs> interesting task. I enjoy it in a weird way and it's good and I love it. Does it make sense? I think it does. I think all developers can agree with like, <laughs> agree with that. Absolutely. I saw it recently. There is a sign hanging in some big, you know, office space. Like we are not doing this because it, uh, it's easy. We are doing this because we thought it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's uh, so good because we thought it's easy. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. 
There are new things to learn, new patterns to observe, new tools to use when when using Kubernetes with comparing to using the old stack. I'm curious to learn how do you structure that? How much knowledge do you want those teams to grasp about specifically Kubernetes and the new new patterns? And how much you say, okay, you can stop there. You don't have to know all of that. Our team is going to turn responsibility of this from this point on. So that divide of knowledge and potentially you do some teaching and some mentorship in that area. So I'm curious to, to learn about that. This is what I'm so passionate about. Um, I'm passionate about doing this connection between the, the, the developers and, and us, a platform team. When it comes to Kubernetes, I think that, you know what, before I say about Kubernetes, I want to give some background about Forder and the way that infrastructure at Forder goes. I mentioned already that we have infrastructure as code and it, it allows two things. On one hand, it allows the developers that don't want to know too much, being able to almost know, not know too much. Oh, and I'm saying almost because it's still code. You still need to be able to run it. You still need to be able to a bit understand what's going on there, but you don't have to go too deep. But it also, it is also a powerful way to provide developers who are interested in taking control over their own resources and trying different things with new and different resources, it allows them to do so. But as the company grows, there were more developers from, you know, that, that came from the first type that they're like, we want to know only so much. So then now that like we have, we already have the way that we do things for, for VMs, we decided to change the weight a little bit to give more to the golden path to and provide more support for golden path than providing support for freedom of development for developers. And the way that we decided to do that was when we decided to go with Helm. This is where you ask me, how much do you want the developers to know when it comes to Kubernetes? When we started the migrations, one of the first things that we did was writing documentation that doesn't provide all of the information itself, but it provides list of things list of uh, of terms that we think that coin terms that are like important for them to know. And we provided links to fair resources that we thought that they were fair. And even if they didn't feel like they're good enough resources, at least it gives them like, you know, the beginning of the way. So this is in terms of like background about Kubernetes. We do expect people to be able to go and read about it, understand in general what it means, what is the difference between running on VMs and running on Kubernetes. So that's like, we already had that, so we continued with that. But the thing that we did do, as I mentioned, we decided to go with Helm for the way that we define the resources for Kubernetes, the way that we define the, you know, the Kubernetes manifest. We decided to go with Helm because now we have an industry standard tool and the developers are able to read about it in Google. But the way that we implemented it allows the developer to only define values for their deployment definition if they want to, or they can do a Helm chart from scratch if they want to. And if you want to know more, <laughs> then you can follow me and find this talk that I have deep, deep, deep about how we did our Helm solution, which is kind of unique. It's different from the way that I've seen other solutions. It's not umbrella chart. It's not individual charts. I'm going to leave it at an unknown surprise. Tum, tum, tum. <laughs> what's, the, what's the title of the talk for the people that want to maybe search for it straight away, if you know? Yeah, so the title of the talk is How a Unicorn Migrated to Helm. I just presented it at uh, DevOps Pro Europe a few days ago. 
Developers have been also always curious about the DevOps side, but for whatever reason, you know, company structure, their point of their career life and so on, haven't decided to make a leap and move in that direction. Can you give us maybe a couple of tips that you would... How to do it? Yeah, yeah. So I think you want to have good supporting team. Like if you doing that by yourself, I guess sometimes it's good. It's always good to learn something new. I'm not going to say it's not. But if you want to really take on a, a new journey like that, that you should do it at the, at the right place, which is not something that is always easy to find out, you know, only during the, the interviews of faith. But so you need to have a good supporting team and that you need to make sure that the team lead knows that you like, what is the level of knowledge that you have? So this team lead will be able to provide guidance as to what it is that you need to learn from now on in order to become this DevOps. That, so that's the first thing. Second thing is when you go, join uh, this company, start creating your own flowcharts, your own documentation of things, even if documentation already exists. Now you get two things out of that. First of all, you start to provide something, you know, you start to provide, of, you, you start to give value to the company just right on when you start. Documentation is always needed. Even if there's already an existing documentation, you are not always just looking at one result in when you're Google searching. So if there is another document explaining the same thing, it's just like you have multiple results in Google and it's just like you going into multiple results before you decide uh, on, a, on one answer to a question that you had. The second thing that you get from that is you are now able to understand what it is that you understand and what you don't understand. Because if you can write about something, if you can describe the flow of a system, it means that you understand the system. But if you can't describe the flow, at least you know what you can't describe. And now you can ask questions specifically on that part. And now this is how I went from, oh, I don't know anything to, hey, I don't know this and this. Let's get help on this and let's read more about this. Amazing, mate. That's like a, that's a great journey so far. Great conversation and good luck with your career. Thank you so much. I was so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. What a great conversation. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. Make sure to subscribe to Semaphore Uncut on your podcast player of choice so that you don't miss our new episodes. And stay tuned. 